typically a portfolio of this size would probably have the support of two staff members. We have the support of 10. So this is also due to the level of our performance. We have enough support here to support the entrepreneurs that we've invested in. We have enough support here in order for the results to look like this. So don't get me wrong, investing in women of color is definitely the right move for business. It's not a right move for social impact. It's just the right move for business. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be social impact. But with that being said, the reason why we've also had so much success is because we've got a strong team. Arian Simone is the co-founder and general partner of Fearless Fund, the first VC fund by women of color for women of color and a serial entrepreneur, philanthropist, angel investor, author, and PR and marketing expert. Fearless Fund invests in women of color-led businesses seeking pre-seed, seed level, or Series A financing. Their mission is to bridge the gap in venture capital funding for women of color founders, building scalable, growth-aggressive companies. Coming up, Arian shares how she shifted from a career in PR to start Fearless Fund, why she sees optimism as the ultimate gift, how childhood experiences can shape your entrepreneurial journey today, what Arian's motto, only sell to those that are buying, means. And finally, how the Fearless Fund is helping women of color. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. I am so excited to finally have the chance to sit down with you and hear all about your incredible entrepreneurista journey and story. You have had quite the journey and I would love if we could start out by just hearing a bit more about your background. And did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Oh, yes. First and foremost, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. I know we are long overdue, so I'm glad for us to have this time together I'm born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and I think I was born to be an entrepreneur. Quite frankly, my mother talks about to this day how I repaid her back her investment that she gave me for my lemonade stand. So I am like that typical kid or what that took place in my youth rather. And I, I, I use the word typical, but I think I need to take that back because words are very powerful and I'm a very intentional woman. Mm -hmm. I had the not typical, I had the clearly the clear vision of this at a young age. Mm -hmm. My friends always tease and say I would have sold my mother's placenta, but <laughs> I known that it had value. I have been selling things since I was a kid. I was a fundraiser for the local UNCF, local NAACP, and I would beat everybody in the city of Detroit, um, literally as like a seven and eight year old. And I'd walk on stage and I'd get my trophies and yeah. like, who is this kid? And after that, when I got into high school, I worked heavily in retail. I was the top salesperson for Express in the whole, the Midwest sales region then. I sold Mary Kay in high school, not in college, in high school, had parties on the weekends, would make like $2,000. And by the time I got off to college, I went and got a real estate license there first. And then I, I was paying my utility bill one day and I saw a sign that said business license. 
And I walked up and I said, what is this about? They said, if you have a business, um, you need a license in the city of Tallahassee. I attended Florida University for college. So we were in Tallahassee, Florida. And I said, well, I do. I said, I'm opening a clothing store. I said it right there, just on the spot. <laughs> um, so I bought a business license. And no store was in existence, mind you, Steph. Just wow. Let me give you more. No store was yep. in existence yet. And I went, got one of my friends, built a business plan. I was in a five-year MBA program. And that's when I first set out to raise capital. Mm -hmm. Everything else, I never had to go get money. I was like, um, we're going to need some startup money for this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I ended up raising a couple hundred thousand. But what I did realize very early on was that very few of the check cutters actually looked like me. Mm -hmm. And before the grand opening, my mom is down, my sister's down, everybody's helping me get everything together. I made a promise to myself. I said, Arian, don't you worry about this investor landscape because one day you will be the business investor that you are looking for. Mm. So I've known I've had a knack for entrepreneurship since my youth. I wasn't interested in being an investor until I had to experience it for myself mm -hmm. for seeking out investors. So I knew that then. And it actually stayed with me because I didn't act on it immediately. After a couple years being in college or owning the store, I closed the shop upon graduation time, somewhere in that time. And then I said, you know what? I'm going off to Los Angeles, California. I received a job offer from Nellie's Apple Bottoms. And they were like a hot clothing company at the time. I'm pretty sure everybody remembers the song, those Apple Bottom Jeans. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I was working for this hot company. I'm 23 going all the way across the country. And I'm like excited. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm doing product placement. I place product on Jessica Simpson. I place product on Tyra Banks. I even got Oprah Winfrey to wear the jeans on her show. Wow. Well, mind you, I didn't know any of these people, nor did Apple Bottoms give me access to them. There was this website at the time, like who's who, like this celebrity type. Who person. represents who or. Yeah. yeah. And it would give you like the agents. I was literally cold calling. Amazing. Mind you not even heavily emailing, cold calling and just pitching on the phone. And I'm I guess I'm dating myself. <laughs> I was able to garner the attention of a lot of celebrities and make it work. Well, I only worked for them for 30 days. So mind you, I got a lot of ground covered then. The president invites me in her office. She said, Arian, you know, I wanted to speak with you. And I'm thinking like, well, of course, I've turned this company around. Of course, you want to speak to me. She said, I have some unfortunate news. And I said, well, what unfortunate news do you have for me? I'm thinking like, I think I'm, I'm coming in for a raise. Yeah. She said, the company has been sold and we have to let you go. I said, well, who's staying? And she said, actually, everybody's going. You're just the last hired, first fired. She said, I feel horrible because if this was based upon performance, you'd be the first to stay. Wow. And I was just like, okay. And I said to myself, you know what, Aaron, you're from Detroit, Michigan. You have plenty of work ethic. You've been at this for a minute. You're going to have to just figure out life. I called home. My parents were in a horrible divorce case. Um, money was tight for them. So my mom's best friend put my furniture in storage. I got all of my like clothes and stuff. And I just packed them in a the car. And the reason why I did this, now don't get me wrong. The day I get fired, this is not what took place. I ran out of money over time. <laughs> so over time, I get a notice on my apartment door that says, you got to pay rent or quit. And I said, well, shoot, I guess I got to quit <laughs> because I don't have anything to keep you guys. And that's when I, of course, had to call home, explain what was going on, tell my parents, well, don't worry about me. I'll just figure it out. I have a level of optimism that is like no other. 
I did not know that moment when I moved from the apartment to the car that I would be without a place to stay for seven months. I had no clue. So my attitude was always, it's to be over tomorrow. Oh, this will be over tomorrow. Like I'm optimistic on that level. I that, did not know that day You're two. speaking my love language. I, I'm the same way. And people are like, Stephanie, are you for real? I'm like, no, tomorrow's a new day. We can just do it tomorrow. So yeah. you're speaking my language. I, I totally get it. But other people are often like, wait a second. Yeah, they're more risk averse. Yeah. But it's, it's a, it's, how should I put this? It was a gift at the time because it kept me going. So like I said, I didn't know day two would turn into day 210. I had no clue. And that's probably good because had I known on the front end that that's how long that would be, I probably would have just fell on the floor because seven months would have seemed like such a long time. Yeah. But for me, it didn't because the next day was always the day out. (laughs) So that, I guess that was the gift that my optimism gave me at that time. And I just learned a lot of valuable lessons through that. I learned just to be grateful. I keep Mm -hmm. a gratitude journal. Even to this day, I'm very into being grateful and thankful for what I have. Like Mm -hmm. I still get excited over a can of soup. Mind you, I make very good money. So just the little things still excite me. Um, You know, seeing a butterfly outside and just walking and seeing nature. I, I garnered a lot of that during that time from that experience. Well, time goes on and I ended up, somebody called me from Apple Bottoms that noticed my work. And they said, hey, I want you to do some work for my spouse. I was like, great. But had they called me to paint the walls, Stephanie, or paint anything or clean the toilets, I would have had a painting business or a janitorial business. Like it didn't matter to me. I was just looking to work. I applied for 153 jobs and nobody had hired me yet. What year was this? I told you you were dating me. I think I look 25. I want to keep this going, but no, just kidding. Um, It was 2004. 2004. Okay. So this is going on and they, I start doing work for them. They referred me to somebody who refers me to somebody. And I look up and in about two weeks, I got like five to seven clients, literally. So that's when I said, you know what, let me go get office space. Cause what I could probably afford an apartment in LA is not suitable to entertain these clients. Mm-hmm. So I went and got office space and I stayed out of the office at first, like slept in it and everything. I slept on the 26th floor. Steve Harvey had a morning show on the 19th floor. I learned. Once I saw that, I would network with all the celebrities coming in and out of the building for the morning show. And I would just tip the security, either buy them lunch or give them a $20 bill for them to keep telling me who's coming in the building. So built up a lot of contacts. I have to wait, pause for a moment. I have to ask you a question about this. What was your networking strategy? So they tell you that a certain celebrity is coming in. Do you do your research to learn about them, figure out like what your ass is going to be like? What was that strategy? No, there was no strategy. This was very more so opportunistic versus strategic. Okay. <laughs> um, I was in survival mode. Okay. So all I knew was I had been in a car. I needed to get out. So I don't even think I took the time to go on the World Wide Web to do anything. I was just literally running from the 26th floor on the elevator down to the lobby up to the 19th floor, sneaking in a radio station to eventually they just started letting me in. So I don't think I had a strategy, but I'll tell you when I knew everything was working, I met Nick Cannon and he said, oh my gosh, I heard about you. Now I'm thinking like, where did he hear about me? I've been doing this for three weeks. So I said, oh, he said, he said, I heard you're dope. I was like, I said, Nick, who told you about me? 
He said, oh, the people downstairs. And I burst out laughing because I'm thinking like, where is this even coming from? And that's when I was like, oh, well, that now that part was strategy. So I was like, well, this is working. But as far as my approach and my pitch, no, I've never been afraid to ask. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why I've just never been afraid to ask is because my mother allowed that gift in me to be fostered Mm -hmm. very young. Typically, when you have the Girl Scout cookies or when you have those children's fundraisers, the parents do all the fundraising. They ask their friends, hey, will you buy my child's Girl Scout cookies or would you buy my child's popcorn fundraiser for the school? And I tell all of my friends when they want to call me with this, I tell them immediately, have your child ask me. Yes. 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 And it's, this happened all plenty of like the past few weeks. I said, is everybody selling popcorn right now? But I did. I said, um, when he was like, oh, well, Arian, she went to bed. I said, well, she needs to FaceTime me tomorrow if she wants me to buy her Girl Scout cookies. And she needs to ask me herself. And the reason why I'm so adamant about this is because I understand the gift that I received when my mother had me do that. I understand the confidence that it's given me in life. I understand the courage that it's given me, the fearlessness it's given me. And I'm like, no, you want them to start asking now before they are afraid to ask later. So I'm just, I'm just grateful for that. So that's why I said, I didn't have necessarily a strategy on the, on the actual ask, but I had a strategy on how I was going to get to them. I had to keep the security happy. (laughs) Yes, And you were fearless. You did not hesitate to ask for what you wanted. And thank you for sharing that whole background. I can wrap that up a little bit because I need to probably get you to where we're at or not necessarily today, but I can get you out of the office, me living in the office. No, no, no. I, I, I think it's so important to, to share that because I feel like so much of what we go through in our childhood and the early experiences we have in business really do shape the way we are as business owners and leaders and similar to you. Like, I, I feel like ha- I love having this conversation with you. Cause I'm like, I just relate to everything, like being a top seller, selling girl scout cookies and being the one going door to door in my neighborhood and getting so excited being recognized as the top seller and real. I still remember, you know, several years into business, Courtney and I were speaking with a coach and just talking about our life experiences and re- it like hit me in that moment. All of the things that I did in my childhood led me to where I was today in this business, you know, at first running social fly and so much of those experiences really do shape us and allow us to be able to ask for what we want or tell people what we want. And I have the same approach as you when friends reach out about their kids, Girl Scout cookies, it's like, get on the phone and ask me, ask me yourself. It's so small, but that little bit of impact goes so long. Yep. I mean, it goes so long. I, I completely it really, it agree. Really does. So over time, I built up great clientele and contacts and more projects. And I learned that movie studios outsource people for PR and marketing work. And pretty much our firm evolved into this firm that was a go-to place for all the studios. So our clients were like Walt Disney, Universal, Sony Pictures. And we were doing PR and marketing campaigns for their films. So that became like the bulk actually of our business. Of course, after being in the office, I was only there for probably about a month, got up enough money, went and got an apartment and then moved on from there. But I had that business for about uh, somewhere around a decade or a little more. And from there, 
yeah, a little over a decade. So somewhere around probably 12 to 14 years, somewhere in there. So I started meeting people in venture capital. Very, very, it was like very serendipity. I was in a meeting. I remember one that just had like a whole aha moment with Gary Vaynerchuk. But I was in the Vayner Media office for actually a pitch meeting for the fund, not realizing that the fund was, was 25 million. This is so, I guess you would say more so prophetic now. Cause like our first fund closed at 25.8. So I think that was just so prophetic. <laughs> So I'm sitting there and we pitch, me and my friends are there. But when I walk out the meeting, I was like froze on a New York street, just watching the cars. Like I wouldn't move. I was just standing there. And they're like, oh God, we know what's going through her head. These are people who know me. I said, yeah. I said, I got to be on the other side of this table. Mm. And that's when I knew I needed to take action on the promise I made to myself Mm. as a young adult. And from there, it was just like the universe just opened up. I just started running into people in venture capital. And I said, hey, I started telling people I'm building a fund for women of color. And people were like, okay, is she nuts or what is going on here? But again, one, I'm not scared to ask. And two, I'm not scared to, you know, share anything going on. No different than when I walked up for that business license in Tallahassee, Florida with no business. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, I remember being at Sophia Amoruso's Girl Boss Rally, telling some of the speakers what I was thinking about doing. And a young lady there, Tracy Gray, who's actually even an advisor to our fund now, she said, are you you serious? I said, yeah. She said, I've been in venture capital for about 20 something years, worked for a lot of major firms. She said, if you're serious, I'll show you the ropes. And I was just like, okay. And clearly she's still with me today. This was years ago. And she looks up now. She's like, look at Arian. She went from saying this at the girl boss rally. She said, now we're advising, you know, on like nine figures AUM. She's like, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. (laughs) So just meeting, she wasn't the only one. I met Rodney Sampson around that time. I just started meeting a lot of people Mm -hmm. and just got SEC regulated, started building everything, started raising capital. And it wasn't easy at first. I mean, it was hard as hell. It was like, are we going to keep getting this door slammed in our faces type of hard? I'm like, is this for real? I said, they don't know my level of persistence will outweigh your no on any Mm -hmm. given day. So you can try it if you want to. It took us about probably 300 meetings to get that done for fun one. Like it was no joke. And I realized when we first started off with individuals that Arian, this may not be the route to go because it was taking too long. You get Mm -hmm. 50,000 here, 100,000 there. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I said, I'm going after institutional money because I don't mm-hmm. have time for this. Yeah. <laughs> the hustle is turning into like I'm up all night, laid out on the floor, crying, praying, fasting. I'm like, no, I got to get my life together. I got to get it's a lot. Good learnings, good learnings. But then now get strategic on how to, yeah. how to save, how to save time, do it bigger, faster. <laughs> and I tell that to even people who are raising for as an entrepreneur, what we had to do is we had to hone in on what our ideal investor looked like. Mm -hmm. And that is the same, even if you're raising as an entrepreneur, you don't want to waste time speaking to people who are not buying what you're selling. Mm -hmm. So my motto is I only sell to people who are buying. Mm -hmm. So we've already identified on our end, the institutional investors that have a DEI focus. We've identified those who are investing in diverse managers. We've identified those who are investing in diverse, you know, portfolios. So now our time is way way more useful. In the beginning, it was just, oh, they're like, no, 
now we are definitely focused and have honed in on our ideal investor. And I suggest that for an entrepreneur too, because you don't have the time to raise and run the business effectively if you're not speaking to the right people. Absolutely. You will run your own business in the ground, speaking to the wrong people at the right or wrong time, not getting anywhere, knowing that you could have at least spent that time on your business Mm -hmm. and then maybe that wouldn't even be the case. So I highly encourage that. So from there, once we were able to identify that, the sky was the limit. Like it was, it made the process so much smoother. We had institutional investors on board before the 2020 racial reckoning where people started making racial equity of a priority. Mm -hmm. So we were the right people in the right place at the right time doing the right thing, um, which had the doors open even more. So currently right now, on that fund and even funds, we are backed by Ally Bank, JP Morgan Chase, MasterCard, PayPal, Costco, Bank of America, and the list goes on. Amazing. General Mills, and the list, the list just goes on. So it has definitely paid off. It's probably one of the most rewarding things to be able to do. Women of color, as you know, in general, women are still under 5% as a whole for receiving venture capital funds. Women of color are under a percent, like it's ridiculous. So with these level of disparities, we realized it wasn't just a lack of diversity in the investment space, it's a lack of diversity in the investor space. The industry's 80% white male. So we have to diversify. We need more women, more people of color on the investor side in order for the investments to be diversified. So that is the work that we do every day at the Fearless Fund. Like I said, it's one of the most rewarding things I could have ever embarked upon, being able to have this level of power and influence in a positive way in job creation and wealth creation and reducing the wealth gap and setting people up for generational wealth. It's, it's like I said, it's so fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Like I have a blast. Don't get me wrong. There are things that happen and I'm just like, oh gosh, what's going on today? <laughs> but overall, my why And my promise I made to myself outweighs any of that to where this makes this so easy, so fulfilling. And I I cannot speak just for me. I love our team. Mm -hmm. We have built an amazing culture of team members. We built an amazing culture at our company. Like I enjoy these people, like if we were just to go out for happy hour. So the fact that we have this place of more like live, work, play, rest, and joy is just, it's everything. That's so amazing. And congratulations. Do you ever just take a moment to sit back and say to yourself, like, wow, I did this. I created this. Um, I say in this stage of my life, I take plenty of those moments before I didn't like when I talked about like from the car to the, to the, to the office, to the apartment, I had none of that because I was in such survival mode. Now I'm in a place of just thriving to where I do take those moments. And I have a lot of people around me that remind me to take those moments. Mm -hmm. So important. I'm even looking at something that says my high vibe thoughts create health in my body, peace in my mind and love in my heart. It sits on my desk. I love that. Yeah, one of Gabby Bernstein's cards. I have it always right up here. 
I want to hear a little bit about your experience initially running your agency and some of the learning lessons, maybe the, the hard times that you went through running your agency. Cause I know how hard it is to run a service-based business and how you maybe were able to take those learnings and apply it to now running and managing your fund. Um, a few things. One cash flow management is the biggest pain point when it comes to that period, any entrepreneur, especially in that space. So being able to forecast better, being able to plan better, all of that has definitely helped me out. But as a 23 year old woman, that was a struggle. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, I know we have money, but why can't I just keep it in the door? Like that's what was going on back then. That was a struggle that had, I had to hone that with time. Mm -hmm. Another thing I learned is I learned the kind of leader that I wanted to be. And what I mentioned about the team, I know it definitely starts with the top. And even, even talking about being type of leader, I even have a book right here that says the self-aware leader, John Maxwell. Clearly I'm reading and inspiring myself constantly, but um, it's great. Yes. I knew that I wanted an environment that was fun. I would say to me, PR was just kind of stressful. And I was just like, oh no, like this is, I don't, I don't want the demands of this. I don't want the intensity of this. Now, mind you, I was such in survival mode. This wasn't a career I even chose. It was somebody reached out and needed some help and I just kicked the door through. Mm -hmm. So I was like, not that I was succeeding in the wrong direction. I was just succeeding at something that I didn't plan on having in life, mm -hmm. which is a little bit different. So now like, this is something I've always dreamed of. I am truly in my zone. So my spirit and attitude, though I think I was still great. I know I've been better. Did you end up closing that business? Did you sell that business? How did you transition from running the agency to, to starting the fund? I wish I sold it. Let me tell you, I had a big offer in 08. Mm -hmm. Had I known that this was my second act, I would have sold it. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh. I look back at that and I'm just like, thinking, <laughs> what were you thinking? What's the learning lesson from that experience? Oh, there is. You have to seize the moment. Yeah. Because even if it had I sold and just started a whole nother one, I'd been fine. Like mm -hmm. you have to seize that moment. And I would say even in the African-American culture, there's a stigma behind us selling our businesses. I would have been so much better off had I just sold it. And I said, people have to get over that. It's you're not selling out, you're selling up. Like mm -hmm. you're putting yourself in a better situation. That's why we sell our, that's what we build them to sell. It just mm -hmm. is what it is. You want your business acquired. And I would say ego and pride probably got the best of me and I should have sold, <laughs> especially knowing today that I wouldn't even be doing it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. So no, I didn't sell. And I've even, even as contracts and stuff come by my desk, I wish I had somebody to even pass it along to other than just saying, no, I can't do this. But yeah, I wish I, I definitely say, I wish I had. Yeah. Well, we call them learning lessons, right. And being able to, to share those and, and talk about, you know, some people wouldn't even want to talk about that story and for you to just talk about it and share what you learned from it. And for entrepreneurs who are listening to this, to, who are in those moments to think about, okay, maybe I should evaluate this and look and see if this, this is an opportunity that makes sense. Yeah. But you know what, the failure of that has prepared me for what I do today. Mm -hmm to be able to tell entrepreneurs to know where the sweet spot is. Because mm -hmm. there are acquisition offers that should be declined. There are. And there's some that should be accepted. 
So you have to know, mind you, as a venture capitalist, we're paid based upon your exit. So whatever mm-hmm. your liquidation of it is, getting bought out by later on investors, you're going public, acquired, whatever. You have to know what that sweet spot is for yourself. Absolutely. For entrepreneurs who are looking to really get involved in investing in the VC space, where should they start looking to for that information? And where did you go when you were first learning about everything? I know you mentioned obviously meeting people and networking, but were there resources or books or things that you were reading? Like, how did you educate yourself? There are actually plenty of books. Um, information as I'm going, well, when I got into this business in this industry it was around 2018, so about four years ago. But this is a way different era than when I was starting, you know, oh my gosh, almost 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? So information is plentiful. It's out there if you want to seek it. So that part is there. There's always courses, there's classes. I know even Arlen Hamilton has classes for investors. Um, at Backstage Capital, if you want to take those, I know Rodney Sampson does at OHUB, if you want to take those for investors too. So there are people out there that are holding classes on this. There, there's a lot of support and education. That was not the case, you know, almost 20 years ago. I'm looking at this note I keep on my desk from one of my mentors, Scott Cooper. He's a GP at Andreessen Horowitz, and he has a book as well too. So definitely check him out. But yeah, there's plenty out there. There's definitely plenty out there. We read articles in the morning. So, I mean, it. there's no short of information in this, in this space. How did you go about building your team for Fearless Fund? How many people do you have now? I went about building my team no different than I tell the entrepreneurs to build their team from the top down. And I have a reason for why I say this. When you're talking about the things that you learned in my, that I learned in my agency that I could apply later in life. When you're an entrepreneur, you typically, the first hire you go get is just because you need help. Mm-hmm. So you go from either being a co-founder or a solopreneur, and you just know that you're overwhelmed and that you need help. And you also know that the person that you're about to pay, you can't afford that much. So you go get the $10 an hour help. I tell people all the time, eh, don't do it. Build it from the top down. Go get your advisory board first. The level of expertise that an expert can give you, their knowledge of even just one hour per one month will have you in a position to grow and scale further than the person that you can hire at the $10 an hour. So start at the top versus the bottom. And I tell that to everybody. And that's what we even did even at the fund. We started with our advisory board. They were on first before the team was on. (laughs) So they were able to even tell us which team members we needed to fill in where and when. And when certain hires needed to be made, even according to budget, we had that expertise there. And that gives you a sense of security, comfort, and confidence in order for you just to go soar. So from there, we have about um, 10 team members currently and growing. And typically, we had that for fund one. And that's like unheard of. Because on a management fee, they're typically anywhere from 2% to 2.5% of our industry. that's only going to cover on a fund that small it's going to cover maybe one person or two people Mm -hmm. once you add in some legal fees office expenses etc so when we have to meet investors people are always like how is it this many people here so I did go out on my own and get additional capital in order for us to staff up this is not money we have to pay back this is not money that's loaned or anything 
Um, I got partners and donors and people who would support this mission and I let them know what was going on. So our portfolio is performing quite well, but I tell people all the time, I can't take credit of this. Typically a portfolio of this size would probably have the support of two staff members. We have the support of 10. I said, so this is also due to the level of our performance. I said, we have enough support here to support the entrepreneurs that we've invested in. We have enough support here in order for the results to look like this. So don't get me wrong, investing in women of color is definitely the right move for business. It's not a right move for social impact. It's just the right move for business. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be social impact. But with that being said, the reason why we've also had so much success is because we've got a strong team. It's all about the team. I could not agree more. And I love your advice that you shared about hiring from the top down. And that's definitely something Courtney and I learned with starting our agency business, because we did the same as you. We were first starting out in our early twenties as well. And you hire what you can afford in a service-based business from the bottom up. But it was when we started hiring these key hires a few years in that could really help, you know, change the trajectory of the business and had more knowledge than Courtney and I did. That's when things start moving. So that's, similar advice that I give now, but then the challenges and Arian, how do we solve this for entrepreneurs who are just starting out? They might not have the budget to be able to afford that, that senior level talent. It's not the budget. That's why I said it's your advisory advisor. Okay. And you can let them know, you may offer them a small percentage of equity Mm -hmm. in the business. You can let them know what the vision is. They will be on board, but their advice still and even if, whether it's an hour a week or an hour a month, it's still going to outweigh that $10 an hour employee. So you want the expertise level advice there, even if it's there for free. Such, such great advice. So I want to hear a bit about the type of companies that you look to invest in. Who should be reaching out to you? Who are the, the best fits for your fund? Yes. At the Fearless Fund, our thesis is for women of color co-founders. So your found, they just have to, they have to have a woman of color on the founding team. Mm-hmm. The founding team can have multiple races, both sexes, et cetera. But there has to be a woman of color on the founding team. That's one. Next is we invest 50% CPG, 50% technology. That's like how our portfolio construction is from a sector standpoint. So if you've got a product business or you're building a tech business, come holler at us. On fund one, the allocations of like average size checks were around 500K. That's like an average on on that fund size. Fund two, average size checks are double that. So it depends on where you're at in your fundraise process. But I can tell you, we are very heavy, even though now we've gotten into the growth stage. We are very heavy pre-seed, heavy seed. I would say if you're in a seed round, we're, we're heavy, heaviest there, mm-hmm. but we also still invest pre-seed A and B. Do you lead rounds? Yes, we do. Okay. And who are some of your most recent investments that you're excited to share about? Um, the investments I can definitely say that have taken place recently that have caused a lot of excitement, even in the press, um, 13 Loon, when we led their round, they are a marketplace for people of color beauty brands that are for everybody. So they're serving everybody. They have a marketplace online and in-store retail. They have an exclusive deal with JCPenney's with every single store. They're taking over the Sephora space. So it's an amazing deal. I can't necessarily give out their financials, but I can say we invested last year, um, end of year, and 
they were already doing great and they're about to be probably they are anywhere from 10 to 15 X more now. Wow. So I'll say that because I'm like, whoa, you guys are just everything. I have a question about that investment. So when you met with, is it a founder, two founders, when you met with the founders, when you met with the founders, what did you look for? What did you see in them that you just knew they're it? I want to, okay. I have a good story about this, not them in particular, but your theory of what you're asking me. I have a, I have a good theory I, I wanted to share. There are indicators as entrepreneurs are listening that we do look at as investors that just like get past the smell test. Mm-hmm. We look to see what your brand story is. We look to see what your product is, of course. What are you solving in the marketplace? We look to see how strong is your team. And we're also looking to see what traction you have. Like that's, of course, the biggest thing is traction. So those four things are what any investor is going to look at. To get an investor's attention, I tell people all the time, you you need two of the four to get somebody's attention. You need four of the four to stay in the room, and then you're going to need more to get the deal done, which is just everything has to be in order. But the two of the four that's going to get anybody's attention is if you got a great brand story and traction in the marketplace, you've got their attention. They're like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, what else? Like they're asking questions. They're intrigued. So those are the two, then the four you would want to make sure that are there. When you're saying first, does something stand out? There is a level, and I was having to explain this to a potential investor the other day. I said, there is a level of intuitiveness that goes into this. So we're investing just not in the business, as you've heard before, investing in the person. Mm-hmm. There is an it factor. Not, this is what you can't put on paper, what you can't describe. You know, and luckily it's worked out well for us because the portfolio is doing well. But these are the things you can't really put into words. And I can give this example with Hair Brella, the founder, Tracy Pickett. She had it before it manifested. We couldn't invest at first. So when I met her, it was June of 2019. And her product is the Rain Hat Reinvented. This is not your grandmother's plastic cap with the tie. This is where fashion meets function. She's an attorney. She's an inventor. The, pa- the product is patent. And when she told me she only had $1,500 in sales for the month, now, mind you, in a tech business, that doesn't bother us. But on the CPG, um, usually, you know, you can ramp up and bootstrap pretty well before you need the capital to scale and grow. So when she says this, I'm like, this is so weird because I know this woman has it. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm hands down convicted she has it. So I just listened. And by September, October, November of that year, I look up. And she's posting her six-figure sales months on social media. And I said, I told y'all she had it. Like, I, we can't invest based just on the it. Yep. <laughs> the other things have to be in place. But there is a level of intuition to where I was convicted on this woman when she only had $1,500 in her sales for the month. Mm-hmm. I was like, she's it. I just got to keep watching. Yep. And my gut feeling proved right to where I called January 2020. So this is pre-pandemic. And I said, Tracy, um, you applied to the fund. Are you still interested? I know you reached out a few times. She's like, oh my gosh, your timing is just like so great. I've had these six-figure months. She said, but I just booked Good Morning America. And they said, you need to be ready for a six-figure day. They said, we know you've had six-figure months, but you come on our stage, it's just going to hit. So she gets there. It was March of 2020, which we all know it took place March of 2020, but it was actually good for her. She's on there, national TV goes great six-figure day multiple six-figure days even after this 
And oh, I wish I had one in front of me, but again, you guys are listening, not watching me. Her product has like a visor that's plastic on it. She has one now called the Pro. You even see it on the website where it adds a face shield to it. So in the height of the pandemic, she makes the most amazing pivot because all this national coverage. Um, and I can't say pivot. I would just say more so expansion to the product yeah. line because she still keeps the classic and still keeps the regular ones too. And she sees this moment and the restaurant industry and the health industry who need their hair covered and faces yeah. covered. They're like, she's got the product. She's it. <laughs> so yes, um, there is a level of intuitiveness. Had I not paid attention to my gut and just let that go by because she only had the 1500, I would have missed it. Mm-hmm. But there, there is that too. So on top of those indicators, you want to feel convinced and convicted about the deal and the person. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you were first starting your very first business? My very first business? Mm-hmm. Um, patience. I tell people that all the time, like when I closed the shop, I thought we were having up and downs as an entrepreneur, which can be regular. Mm-hmm. And I kept asking myself, was I failing at this? And I keep those financials there on my computer to this day. And I just laugh because we weren't failing. (laughs) We weren't failing at all. I mean, we're in the black and everything. We just, I just wasn't patient. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Arian, had you just probably stayed a little more patient, though I have no regrets on my journey. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just shows me through that lens of what that would have been. Patience is definitely hard as an entrepreneur. I think we can all relate. That's why we're, we're all, we're all in this business. We're like, go, 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 go. But taking a step back and remembering that is, is definitely important. So thank you for sharing that. All right, Arian, this is a fun segment we like to do. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. I, was about to say, so, I knew it was rapid fire, which is no, like, no stories. Segment. No stories here. It's about to be rapid fire. (laughs) Only the first part. So the first, only a few questions, the first word or words that come to your mind. You ready? Describe yourself in three words. Powerful. Beautiful. Ah, I got to get a third one. Um, Generous. What are you currently reading? And I think you pulled it out before. (laughs) Oh no, I will. This is my girl. I know Gabby already got a plug for her card, but I'm reading happy days. By my dear friend, Gabby Bernstein. I haven't read that book of hers yet, so I'll have to add that one to the list. Oh, it's it's wonderful. What is your favorite app on your phone that you cannot live without? I don't know if I have one. I almost wanted to pick up the phone to see. I guess you. It's this is so basic. This is not everybody's answer, but it would be the text messages. Mm-hmm. It's very important. That is, yeah. that is an app on your phone. I don't have one. Like I can live without social media. I can live without anything else. So I, but I'm like those text messages and fun fact, I don't get emails to my phone and haven't since 2009. Hmm. We're going to talk about that in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very important question. Sweet or salty? Oh, sweet. Coffee or tea? Tea. I don't even drink coffee. Must have item in your purse. My headphones. There you go. All right. Finally, what is your superpower? My belief. Mm, I love that. All right. Back to our regular questions. Ready? (laughs) Tell me what does a typical day look like for you now? I don't think I have a typical day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think any entrepreneur has a typical day. Our days are based upon what is going to grow the company today. Mm -hmm. So I have meetings. I'm on Zoom. Sometimes I'm here with you all. I have press interviews. 
I have, I work out, hence why I look like this. <laughs> it's good for you. I, oh, I do. I, I have to take care of me. Um, my mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, financial well-being is why I'm able to do what I do. So unlike most, they're probably like, I'm just grinding nonstop. I'm not. I understand that if I take care of me, everything else will take care of itself. So true. So I'm very big on, you know, I try to cook in my house when I can. I'm not a health nut by any means, but I would say compared to most, they say, oh, she's on the healthy side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but don't get me wrong. I still enjoy some fried fish or something like that from time to time. And so working out is part of my day. Meditating is part of my day. Prayer is part of my day. When I can, reading is actually even part of my day. It's part of my day today. But pretty much the Zoom meetings are team meetings. Um, I do have this thing at our firm. We have office hours, myself and my co-founder, Ayanna Parsons. And during our office hours, anybody on the team can just come up in the Zoom and, you know, express anything they need, what's going on, what could be helpful, updating you on things at the company, which I love. I think it's great. And yeah, and oh, I would say socially, I have a, I have an active social life. So like last night, I'm... Um, was at um, my friend Zach's birthday party. Um, the other night I was at like Mary J. Blige at this VIP reception. So people in Atlanta go out 60% more than any other city. Wow. I so, yeah. So some nights I'm, I mean, on a weekday, it doesn't matter. Like I'm just out so, <laughs> and spending plenty of time with my family and just friends and loved ones. So my life is what I guess you would say pretty balanced um, compared to most, but there's no typical day. I I can definitely relate, but in terms of now, you know, focusing on your health, your mental health, well-being, when did you get to that place where you realized it was important to focus? Because I know, you know, especially for, you know, early stage founders running around doing a million different things. If you're fundraising, running your business, it's so easy to let all of these important things when that you need to take care of yourself, just fall by the wayside. Was there a specific moment that it hit you? Like, I'm burnout. I have to start doing this to take care of myself. That's probably what was happening back then. Like mm-hmm. I probably get burned out and then realize it burned out, realize it like that, but there wasn't. And if so, there may have been that I have just not pinpointed it. I'm pretty sure something caused the shift, but and I don't know if it was burnout that would have caused the shift. I know me, what it probably was like a huge blessing that caused the shift. And I probably noticed I didn't have to work that hard for it. And I noticed that it was probably received to me in my alignment. So I said, okay, well, that's where your energy is going to be, have to be placed. Mm -hmm. I'm big on energy management and that I have been big on since I was 23. I've been talking about energy management (laughs) for almost 20 years. What what is the saying? Like where, where you go, the energy flows or isn't there something where your attention goes? goes Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there a mantra or quote that defines you or you live your life by? One of my girlfriends at that time, she's very close to me. She told me then um, what you focus on expands. Mm-hmm. I love that. And when I realized that, I was like, let me make sure I'm focusing on positive things, yep. prosperous things, productive things. Very, very important. What are you most grateful for every day now? Just life itself. Yep. Life itself. I am grateful just to wake up. I'm excited to see another day. I'm grateful for my time even more with my family. I've always been a family time type of person. I do think that I cherish it more, but I've always been into that. Mm-hmm. 
Finally, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista means to me that you are willing to live life without limits or boundaries, that you are willing to do what the world may seem is impossible, that you are willing and ready to serve an audience that is larger than yourself. It's so incredible, all that you've accomplished and everything you're continuing to do to help support women and founders. And you're just amazing. And I'm so glad to be connected to you and share your story. And I know that everything you've just shared with our audience and community is really going to help so many, so many people. Where can everyone find you and follow you and for founders that are currently raising, if they might be a good fit to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do so? Yes, the best way to reach out to me, um, all our social media handles are at fearless.fund. At least I think they are some of all of them. We'll confirm that and we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yes, at fearless.fund. I know that's at least the Instagram one, but we are on LinkedIn. We are on Twitter. Also, hello at fearless.fund is just our general line that anybody can email in and chime in on. I'm at Arian Simone on all things social, but I will say that I'm hit or miss. Sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. <laughs> all right. Well, we will link out to all of your socials in the show notes before. Thank you again so much for taking the time to connect and share your story. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.